everybody. Welcome back to the Playing With Power podcast. You are tuning in for part two of volume 35 from April of 1992. And uh, again, Nintendo Power, I mean, uh, <laughs> Playing With Power podcast is a Nintendo Power retrospective where we go issue by issue over the issues. And uh, so we are halfway in picking up at uh, Super Mario Adventures comic on page 62. But before we get to that, let's introduce myself. I'm your host, Ben. And uh, with me is my co-host, as always, uh, Mike. Hello. And we've got our guest from part one. Uh, welcome back, Llewellyn. Hey, it's great to be still be with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Long time no here, huh? <laughs> um, so I wanted, well, we still had you here. I wanted to sort of uh, rapid fire some names at you from a gameplay counselor profile, starting with the the issue that you were in, um, if you don't if you don't mind. No, no, not at all. Just keep in mind that um, some of them are still close enemies of mine, so I may not be able to be completely honest. Yeah, that's fine. If you if you just want to say uh, no comment, you know, that's, <laughs> then we understand. You we'll know, we'll we, let we our listeners we'll, we'll let our listeners fill in the blanks. Okay, so we've got uh, you. You mentioned you still know Jane Hacker. She's in the same issue you are. Yes. That she, um, she has legally changed her name because it was hard to get work after the 90s with the last name of Hacker. Hmm. <laughs> Although, okay. if it was the 1890s, she would have been a shoe-in for a lumberjack. I think so, yes. Okay, then we've got uh, Shelly, and I can't say the last name, Coyote? Coilot. Um, yeah, Shelly, there were two or three women in their 50s who were gameplay counselors and... Um, you know, they had nice, soothing voices, and uh, Shelly was actually quite good at video games. There were others who were not good at video games, but they had soothing voices. But they had soothing voices. Well, making nice. great for the phone, uh, we have I guess. Jason Gamage or Gamage? Yeah, J- Jason, I, I really think that the uh, Huxtable sweater he's wearing and the tie tells you just about everything you need to know about that. So. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Moving back an issue. I'm going to go it, backwards here. I think it's gamage because it rhymes with damage, as mm. in what's his damage? Yes. <laughs> uh, we have uh, Wally Blake. Wally was a great guy. Um, actually, um, he when he left, I was the first one in his cubicle to steal all his good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, did he like you? Was he like, hey, have my stuff? I don't really remember that part. I got a really good <laughs> desk fan out of it that I used for like 20 years. Wow. <laughs> okay, we have uh, Joyce Davis. Mm, without looking at the picture, I actually don't remember Joyce. Um, she's got sort of the 90s secretary look. Uh, looks relatively Asian-ish. Hmm. I'm sure I knew her, but again, now we're starting to be like people I don't remember. She's pretty cute. Um, then we have Ken Swatman. Nope. Bruce M. White. Uh, I remember Bruce White, and all I remember is that I remember him. Okay, so previous issue from that. Bill Clark. You know, I think this is going to be a very disappointing section of the podcast. <laughs> hey, we hit we hit one already. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> okay. Jo- 
Joe Conklin. Uh, yeah, I remember Joe Conklin. I think he might have been the one who dropped out of his band because they wouldn't play his stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and and when we asked him what the name of the band was, he said, oh, they're not going anywhere. They're called Pearl Jam. It's a stupid name. <laughs> Seriously? Seriously. Yeah, it's some band named after Come. I don't see them going anywhere. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, Scott Evanson. Um, Scott was, I think he was the one who was really, really good at, um, uh, the, um, bobble game. Hmm. Bubble, bubble, bobble. Yeah. He says his best accomplishment was play action football, 84 points in the Power Bowl, and that's play some football, and his favorite game was Solomon's Key. Yeah. A lot of people play a lot of football. Tecmo Bowl. We got so many calls at Tecmo Bowl. Yeah. Todd Westergreen. Don't remember Todd. Okay. Previous issue from that, Jeff Norton. Um, Jeff, I think, might still be there. So oh, if yeah. I ever want free swag again, I probably shouldn't say anything. <laughs> James Verhage. Verhage. Uh, he yeah. and the guy from the previous issue were, were good friends. Um, when we became... When we did the cross training from gameplay counselor to customer service rep, um, they while we were in training, uh, the trainer said, "Okay, well, I'm going to need everyone's logon password so that I can go in and give you access to the customer service side." And uh, James and Scott kind of raised their hands, and mm. it's like, "Yes, uh, what if our passwords contain body parts?" <laughs> Nice. So, <clears throat> I, I'm I'm fairly certain that the there were um, genital um, mentions in their their passwords. Oh, I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty sure the pa- I'm pretty sure like someone just named it Pen Fifteen, but then someone just thought, <laughs> no, 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 this is like, <laughs> someone just kind of reached. Or yeah. my my favorite website, penisland.com. <laughs> <laughs> You sure that's not John's favorite website? Unfortunate <laughs> website domains, yeah. Yes. Okay, we have uh, John Schaumer. Mm, I don't remember John. Casey J. Pelkey. Um, you know, Casey Pelkey's name sounds really familiar, and I'm sure I'd know him if I saw the picture, but I don't remember anything in particular. He's like a young, goofy kid. Yeah, we were all young, goofy kids. I think, I think Casey might have been the one who was mostly in charge of Game Checkout. Okay. And then, okay, previous issue, we have Dan Pelletier. Uh, Dan, actually, I think he was my lead um, hmm. for, like, the middle year I was there. Okay. Joel Niedrich. No, I don't remember Joel at all. Lawrence Dunnigan. Mm, again, I'm going to have to say no. Andrew Kreischer. Andrew sounds familiar, but again, I can't remember. Okay. Uh, back another issue. We have Eli Wolf. Um, I remember Eli. Um, mostly he was really, really tall. Is he wearing all in black? No, he's wearing like a sweater with like a okay. blue shirt underneath. I don't know why we wore sweaters so much. It was actually kind of cold. Um, well, he's in Seattle, right? So... Yeah, well, I mean, look, 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 look at Sir Mix a lot. In summer, he's wearing a big fur coat. I mean, look at he look was, at put him on the glass. All the women are in he, bikinis. He's, he's got really, like really two cool. fur coats on. 
All right. Well, let, let's let's What's let's finish up like this issue Seattle? and then uh, right. it is partly cloudy every day. <laughs> All right. All right. Hold on. I got more to go to. Couple, yeah. couple more here. Brian Austin. Okay. I don't remember Brian. Sorry. Sam Kujath. Sam Kujath was one Sam of the Kujath. most awesome guys, um, like ever. I loved Sam. He was big and friendly, and he he was just a really really nice guy. Um, hmm. And I. He's. I think he stayed after I left. I don't. He's, I don't think he's still there now. But um, he was just a big, friendly guy. Um, mm. So I would. I would say that I wish that I was friends with Sam today. But uh, I'm not mm. friends with Sam today. Um, although now I should go back to all the Nintendo Power issues and see, you know, who's <laughs> who's still alive and on Facebook and try and be their friends. Yeah, because Facebook yeah. Facebook friends it's are like the your, new friends. Uh, your book, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Sad but true. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, just before we continue with the counselors, I, I just looked at yours. And what was the Aardvarks hobby again? Like, did you like study them or collect them or? The, no, it was the Cerberus, the Aardvark, the comic. That's what you just explained. Oh, so yeah, Aardvarks was the comic, not the animal. Okay. Yes. Okay. But you know, you you, you want to you want to put something down that's slightly original and. Um, yeah, it's a good yeah, one. So that's. Uh, Joaquin okay. Govis. Uh, no, I don't remember Joaquin. Other than okay. like, I think he existed. Okay, I've got eight, more here. eight more here to go to, and I'll let you go. <laughs> eight all right. more. All right, all right, all right. Joe Lockett. Nope. David Nixon. Nope. Sean McGoldrick. Um, I believe Sean passed away a couple of years ago, and he was one of those guys who really went out there. He was scuba diving, and he would support animal shelters, and um, he hmm. was a really, really awesome guy there. Um, but yeah, I think he got cancer. But hmm. it's I, it's weird. I went to his Facebook feed, and uh, I saw that because um, you know after you're dead, they they don't delete you on Facebook and one mm -hmm. of our co-game counselor friends um, his Facebook feed is just filled up with um, so and so has beaten your score in this game challenge them back and I'm like oh my god that's oh, like, shit. painful to look at oh. you know Sean you're behind your friend other friend's game score you should really come back and <laughs> like oh my the man is dead <laughs> don't promote to all of your friends <laughs> You're well, beating their score when he's awful. dead. Uh, but awful. you know, a lot of us were pretty competitive about scoring, so Sure. I was not uh, the best gameplay counselor, but I did finish the most games. Maybe I didn't get the best scores in those games, but I actually finished them. Huh. Okay, Eric Carlson. Um I think he went on to become a lead too, that's all I remember. Tony Clayton. No, I don't remember Tony. Josh Shepard. No, sorry. Tom Christensen. Oh, Tom was a strange man. <laughs> Very strange man. So okay. you you get Tom. Tom was uh, one of the trainers, and um, he in in the beginning we were there to make game playing fun for you. All right, so you've you've been working to. Um, uh, you know, beat Captain America 
for a week and you're pounding your head and you're pounding your head and you're, you're, you can't beat the last boss. So there's two ways you can go. Um, the way that I was trained, the way we started was you're like, okay, well, what have you tried? Uh-huh. Have you thought, what else could you do? And then, you know, the little nine year old's like, I don't know. Well, what part hurts when you hit it? Your head. Right, so where should you shoot him? I should shoot him in the head. Okay, thanks, great. I'm going to go, go by. As opposed to shoot him in the head three times. Thank you. Next call. Um, <laughs> so Tom, he would he would be like, all right, <clears throat> so where does it hurt when you shoot, get shot? Yep, you're right. You should try that. Now, once you do that, I want you to sit back, put your feet up, eat a big slice of apple pie, big, drink a big glass of milk. Just reward yourself for having done a great job. Like pretty much you'd hear like every call after you beat this guy, you need to have a big slice of apple pie and a tall, cold glass of milk. That's um, funny. And, and, you know, it wasn't our job. Cause you know, if I just tell you, you know, you hit him in the head three times, you'd be like, Oh, so uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. But, yeah. but if I lead you to the answer, you know, if, if, uh. if I help you realize the answer, then you'll be like, Oh my God. We're both geniuses together, as opposed to, oh, fuck. And that's really something I feel like the internet has really killed in video games, is that the first time you get stuck, you just go online and look it up. Oh, so the answer to the riddle is dust bunnies. Okay, well, I'll just type that in. All right, now I'm on to the next thing. So I think that's one of the things that the internet's really actually made harder um, Hmm. for gameplay, is that you don't... I mean, unless you're really perverse, you're not going to stick at it. Um, <laughs> you're not going to try I, everything. I, 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 I don't just, know. Ben, you want to chip in? Yeah, I just wonder if that guy gave, like, tell everybody to eat an apple pie because, like, he owns stock in a local orchard. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> don't know. Yeah. You know, but, you might uh, want to reward yourself with a nice <laughs> apple pie from Big Apple on 262 <laughs> Orchard Road. And around here. Tell him Tom sent you. Yeah, Tom Tom All right, who who else have you got? All right, last guy here. That and I'll stop bugging you. Uh, Caesar Falori. Oh no, Caesar's the one who was in it in Pearl Jam. Um, Caesar and somebody else came to the Halloween. Came to work on Halloween dressed as nuns one year. It was really very disturbing. Um, but Caesar was like that cool guy. He's like the font, that cool guy in school that you know you yeah, always wanted to cool. be friends with. But Caesar was totally cool. Um, he was, got, he was definitely. I found my own. Uh, I wanted to ask about uh, Michael Vetch because he's got in this picture, he's got a reverse Hitler going on. And I wanted to know, like, <laughs> the was soul that a soul patch. Thing, or did he look like that? I, I, I couldn't remember. I'd have, to, I'd have to look at the picture. Sorry. Um, but pretty much yeah, everybody looked a, exactly the way their pictures were taken. Uh, Robert Johnson. He looks like he should have worked for the uh, the Geico caveman ads because he's rocking a unibrow, scraggly hair. It's like this guy, like, like he must have you know, a, a family religion that's against razors. We hire them for their voice and their knowledge. We don't hire them for their good looks. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of them have the have the either molestache or they've got a mullet, super mullet going on in a lot of these. It was I mean, I get that 1990, it's like 1990s, I mean, but. They're not like good-looking ones, though. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, what prompts you to have a mustache and then just, just shave right under your nose? 
Okay. So you've got the reverse Hitler. <laughs> the, the way it goes is you're there and then they come to you and they say, hey, time to take your picture for Nintendo Power. Like, <laughs> I didn't quit. Work oh, looking yeah. at Pennington, <laughs> give me a I coat. I didn't come in to be seen today. <laughs> right. That's pretty much it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. Some of them look right. good, though. Like, we're looking at Gail Weiler, and uh, yeah. uh, she looks like Cindy Lauper. Yeah. Look at, well, <laughs> good Cindy Lauper. Yeah, good. good I see. Um, I, now, a lot of these people, you know, you can go on YouTube and you can look up gameplay counselors or whatnot, and you'll see there, there are videos of us out there. Um, oh. Being on, being interviewed or whatnot. Um, I'm talking about Dragon Warrior for some reason, but no, oh, nice. So, so I, I would be remiss if I didn't give you two two stories before I go. Um, right. One is how incredibly cool I am, and then the other one is how incredibly lame I am. So, um, I'm answering a question on Battletoads, and the guy is like trying to get to the end. And so, we all had standard office chairs, didn't have arms or anything. And um, unbeknownst to me, my my boss is um, he's, he's monitoring the call. That's what they do. And he's in the same cubicle row as me. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, he's like, well, so, you know, how do I how do I get past the turbo shaft? And I lean back in my chair and the back of my chair snaps off <laughs> and I literally fly backwards my ass is still in the chair. My feet are sticking straight up. And my my back is flat on the back. And I'm like looking up at the ceiling. And it was a loud bang. And people run over. And I'm like, well, the turbo shaft is a tricky level. I'm going to want to get a map. Let me put you on hold just for a second. And I'm waving at one of my friends. Put the damn phone on hold. Because I can't reach it. Because it's like 10 feet away from me now. It's like, put on hold. Um, so, you know, they, they run over and they push hold. Um, and I sit my chair back up. I come back. I answer the call. And my my supervisor came by over and said, you know, Llewellyn, that was the coolest thing. I was listening to you. And I heard a loud bang in the middle of you talking. And I didn't even look over because your voice didn't change. <laughs> That's funny. So, you know, was, well, was... you're a professional, and I see you having a long future here at Nintendo. <laughs> <clears throat> so, <laughs> with that um, work ethic, you're going to be here for years. You're going to be here for years. So, um, you know, in I think volume 27 is what is this? I can't remember what month this was. August, August 91. So it's mm -hmm. it's August, and my issue Nintendo Power is out. All right, so so Mike. Let me ask you, did your parents own an RV? Nope. Okay. If your parents had owned an RV and had gone on a cross-country trip and you happened to be going through Redmond, Washington, what would you have asked your parents to do? Take me to Nintendo okay. Power. You would not be the only one. The RVs would pull up in the summertime two or three times a month. And the, the you know... The parents would be like, all right, come on, come on, TCB, come on. And they'd go inside, and like, hi, this is, you know, TV would be like, hi, hi, I'm so excited to be here at Nintendo. Um, um, can I talk to some gameplay counselors? Can I see some stuff? Can I have a tour, please? They'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, kid, come on. And they'd call Tim hey, Cast. see, down. like, pictures of Mario on the wall? Or... Yeah, yeah. And you'd, you'd call Tim Cast down, and Tim would come down, and he'd be like, all right, well, let me show you. You know, it's nothing really exciting. You know, designing computer games is not like making stuff, but. I'll take you around. And, um, 
you know, Tim would usually bring them by my desk because I could answer arcane questions or whatnot. And um, the kid would get a free issue of Nintendo Power. And so Tim and this, this guy and this kid come up and the kid's really excited to be, he's looking around at all the game counselors and I'm wearing my, my red Nintendo jacket and um, he's asking me questions and I'm like, hey, well, you want to do this and it's really great that you came. I hope you enjoy playing Nintendo stuff. And, and he's looking through the issue and he's like, oh my God, this is your picture right here in, 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 in the Nintendo Power magazine. This is you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. Will you autograph it for me? And I'm like, all right. <laughs> you bet, kid. Let me just autograph this page for you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy, to, happy to do that. So I autograph the page. Kid, kid goes away. And, um, you know, a few weeks later, um, Tim comes by. Uh, yeah, page 43. Tim comes by, and he's got this woman and this um, this kid, like 12, 13, something, and uh, like a 12, 13-year-old girl. And they look really bored. I mean, they're not, you know, having a good, they're, they're not like, you know, super pumped. These kids did not drive from Albuquerque or Florida to come to Nintendo. They're just like coming through. And um, and so, you know, he's like, well, do you have any questions about games? He's like, oh, really? well, how about Dragon War? Here, look, and, and I could pull up a map of the dungeon, which in 1991, Using a computer to pull up a map of a dungeon from Dragon Warrior is a big thing. They're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I was like, hey, I see you've got my issue of Nintendo Power there. Uh, you know, I, I'm in there. You want me to autograph that for you? And Tim, like, grabs onto the cubicle wall and is, you could tell he's trying not to fall down from laughing so hard. And the kid's <laughs> like, no, I, I'm cool. It's all right. So they go away. I don't think anything more of it. Tim comes back and is like, what? What? Do you know who that was? No, I don't know that one. That was Eddie Furlong from Terminator 2. He knows Arnold Schwarzenegger. He does not need your autograph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Eddie was in town shooting American Heart with uh, with Bo Bridges. And, you know, I, I, I think that they paid him for the interview that happens later in this issue. Um mm -hmm. And so he came to Nintendo to do the interview. I will tell you where he says he's a really outgoing, exciting kid. No, that's a lie. That kid was so shy and so quiet. But it was the two kid stars of the movie, and they were not excited to be at Nintendo. But, yeah, I learned a lot of humility that day. That's funny. <laughs> well, I mean, I will say, my I was one of those kids that showed up at Nintendo. Uh, I think it was probably either... So not between 92 and 94, but we uh -huh. didn't go inside. I just got my picture took, taken out in front of the sign, you know, in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. We were in town visiting Seattle, pretty much. Yep. You were not the only one. I'm so. sure I wasn't. I was so excited, yep. though. <laughs> just, think, just think, if only you showed a little bit of ambition, you could have got his autograph. I know. Uh, right? You would have made his day. I know. Then he would have been, been two awesome. for three. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, Mike, you're a bad man. All right, well, I want to thank you guys for reaching out to me, and I hope that you get lots of other Nintendo Gameplay counselors, and I think it's an awesome podcast, and I think that absolutely everyone hearing these words should immediately go to iTunes and write a lengthy review, and also go to Patreon and give really as much money as you spent the last time you bought a video game, because it's only through high-quality 
journalistic integrity like this that, you know, um, these two guys are doing that we can really advance the study and science mm. of Nintendo. It, it, it costs money to do the minutes of research that we do to bring <laughs> yes. information to the masses. And, well, and I don't remember, think we could have paid for a better... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't pirate Nintendo Power magazines. Go to the interwebs and buy a used copy. If you love Nintendo Power, you should buy a paper copy because it's just when it, mm. you smell it. Oh, that's the good stuff. Yeah, because, you know, right. we put a little crack cocaine in every issue. Yeah. So <laughs> that's why the pages stay white. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I'm going to let you guys go. I'm going to take off. You guys have a great day, and I look forward to listening to uh, – you're going to cut out all the naughty bits, right? Uh, well, we don't have 10% of the <laughs> podcast, but you know, sure, we'll do what we can. Oh, well, maybe we'll leave some of the naughty bits. All right. You guys have an right, uh, we'll amazing know. Thanks day. Thanks so much, Lauren. Take care. Take care. Um, we will. I look forward to listening uh, thanks, to it. Thanks. Thanks. All right, Mike. You want to pick us up where we left off on oh. Super Mario Adventures? That that was, that was just prime. That was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Walter Slave is clipped by him selling the selling the podcast review. <laughs> we use it over and over. <laughs> we got yeah, definitely got to have that as like the introduction to. You know, we need to replace the Nintendo Power intro with that. Mm-hmm. Like get the power. Screw that. Just have him in that in that beautiful tone, just shilling for us. Over <laughs> and over again. There you go. Okay. Love it. So, uh, we take off from where we left off on the Super Mario Adventures, where we get to see a tall, starry spire with thorns all around it. Like, not often you see a building with a collar, but, you know, kudos on them. And you got these two windows that are shaped like, I don't know, like a lopsided B, or maybe eyes. And the tower has a pretty pink bow on it, because, you know, why not? And it says, last month, Princess Toadstool was hot-footing it through the desert in pursuit of Bowser. And Mario and Luigi rode Yoshi to Yoshi's Village, where friendly Floyd, the traveling salesman, took them for a ride of a different kind. Then they learned about the bad news about the princess. Kidnapped again. And then we get to see the Koopalings all playing the, uh, playing a Bowser game where you get to be Bowser. Even with a Superman logo and a cape stomping on a horde of Mario's. And then doing the turtle trick of kicking a bunch of them to get a one-up. And the thing is, we get to see all six. We get to see six of the Koopalings, but we don't get to see Wendy Koopa playing, which, you know, concerns me because, you know, we'd like to see girl gamers. And, you know, it sounds like they, it's like, well, something only boys are into. You know, that's bullshit. We know that girls are into gaming. At least like 2% of them are. And so we get to see Luigi, uh, Ludwig von Koopa, holding a controller after hearing the uh, one-up chime saying, that's music to my ears. But then the, then the video game glitches out, and then we get to see Bowser uh, mugging for the camera, and he's like, listen up! What? I told your kids to keep this video line open! What? And then they're laughing at him. What an ugly mug. And he goes, shut up, this is serious. I've done a mighty fine job of raising you kids, but I've been thinking you need a mother. So I have proposed to Princess Toadstool. Excuse me, sir. I have a model of your wedding cake. 
Well, let me see it. And we get to see a friggin' amazing keg. I, I mean, if, if I ever had a uh, a wedding or something, I would like a like a slightly smaller version of this because it looks fantastic. It's like one, it's like seven layers, and some are held up by warp pipes that are dripping with frosting, with <laughs> with mushrooms and a big turtle on top with a fan on top. And this is just like a, a, a sweet ass cake. Now, this kind of does Princess Peach jump out of it? <laughs> and now, is she naked? In my dreams. Oh, I mean, like that's where all the whipped cream is for, so that she can be like barely covered <laughs> up, like barely photogenic. Yep. And uh, I don't know why, but we, they seem to be following the the line of that uh, the line of logic that the Koopalings are his children. Even though we've established later on that the Koopalings are not his sons, they're just, uh, I guess, juvenile delinquents that he's picked up off the streets hmm. and brought to his employment. So we see, now this is just a demonstration cake. The real cake will be twice as big with lots of chocolate. But Bowser says, I want it to be a hundred times bigger. You know, never mind the fact that cake and frosting only have a, uh, a limited structural integrity. But at that point, it's just going to be like a big floppy, like, how are you going to slice that cake? But Bowser doesn't uh, care about facts, because according to him, as we established in the Zelda episode, ignorance is bliss. And so he says, I'm very busy. Make sure my bride doesn't disappear before the big day, okay? And then we get to see the kids turned off the inputs on the TV, and they're back to playing Super Koopa Brothers. And then Bowser's face smashes through the glass, screaming, Did you hear me? <laughs> this is this is beautifully <laughs> drawn. Mm -hmm. He's got like the uh, you know the anime cross on his face, which lets you know that that's a vein popping out. Hmm. And the Koopas are sent flying, glasses flying, like he is not just he's not just sticking his face through the TV, he is literally shoving his face through the glass. And it's exploding everywhere. <laughs> and then we see the Koopas all laid out on the ground in shock, just staring up at the ceiling while the TV is crumpled over with a Band-Aid on it. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> the TV needs a Band-Aid. It's pretty hilarious. And then we get to see one of the Koopalings, uh, Iggy. He's, uh, his hair's spiky, so he got sent upside down and his hair is stuck in the ground. But uh, then they say the princess is safely behind bars. And then we see the cell is empty. And I don't know why the cell, this cell is very thorough. And not only is it got uh, an iron bar with a chain locked around it and then a lock through the chain. But then we've got wooden, like wooden nails boarded through the iron bars. Like there's no way she's getting out. Except they look and find the cage is empty. So they say she's gone. They open up the cage to find out where she could have been. And then we see her doing an amazing ninja routine where she's like holding herself up in the corner. And I, I gotta say, I friggin' I've got a major crush on this Princess Peach. Like, not just <laughs> not only does she look great, but she is a kick-ass bitch. Like, th this is respectable. It's like it's like she may be captured, but damn it, she's gonna make you earn it. She's not like, oh, I, oh, I gotta like be careful away from Mario. She's like, fuck Mario. I'm going to get out myself. So she descends upon the Koopalings and gives them a roundhouse, sending five of them flying, and somehow manages to keep her dress down without exposing her frilly undies. 
Although I bet when when she drops on top of Iggy, I bet he, at least he can answer what's under that, that frilly dress. Of course, he doesn't have time to remember it because she immediately roundhouses him. And then she runs out the door, locks them all up, and says, Fooling you, Koopalings, is too easy. Let's make a deal. And then she turns around, Hasta la vista, babies. So we got that Terminator 2 reference already. And then uh, we find out she's escaping, but then we find out where Wendy has been. She has been assembling an army because she knows that her brothers are a bunch of friggin' idiots. And so she orders her troops to attack the princess. And that's the last we see of her for a bit. And I kind of feel upset because Princess Peach is doing a great job of rescuing herself. Like, this is a, <laughs> this is a really good comic. And then we see Bowser and Luigi and Yoshi and the Toad Commander... Uh, looking at the tower through the bushes, and they realize that that's where uh, they're holding her. The guy says, "I saw them. T- I saw them take her in there." So they have to realize there's a boat. And then Mario just says, "Hey, who needs a boat? Come on, let's swim." And Luigi starts crying, "I can't swim!" And then, Lu- and then Mario jumps in, and uh, well, then we get to find out what's inside. He screams, "Piranhas!" And his shoe is being bitten by a skeleton fish. He's also got a, uh, a, spiky, a spiky urchin and a porcupuffer, both in his ass, like one in each cheek. <laughs> and he ends up uh, jumping back across the water. And we get to see a nice shot of what's under the water. And essentially, instead of a, uh, a bed of mud and seaweed, it's just bones and urchins and puffer fish. Like, Bowser doesn't... Gr- Bowser's did a great job with this mode. And then uh, Mario says, well, on to plan B. Then Luigi says, codename, survival. <laughs> and then we run back to Princess Peach. Uh, you know, for a woman in a wide dress and uh, high heels, she's doing a great job of outrunning this army. So we even got the, like, the sound effect of the army behind her. Bada, 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 bada. Like this is a this is a really good comic. I I, I can't say enough good about this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so she's running up the stairs, but she's getting winded. So then she runs up to a room with a frilly pink door on it, so we all know it belongs to Wendy. And they get to see this nice room with a uh, with an upside down turtle table, with the spikes for the legs. And uh, I I kind of wish that I had something like that because, you know, it, it'd be it would be a great centerpiece. Like a nice spiky turtle shell table. And so she, the troops run into the room and Princess Peach immediately starts throwing everything she can. Pillows, cups, even the damn, she even throws the table itself and smashes a Koopa Trooper with it. And then Princess, and then Wendy's just like, stop! No, that's my favorite! And then Princess Peach is holding her shirt hostage. (laughs) And right. says, stay back or I'll shred it. And then Wendy's you, like, the no, let her go. <laughs> and then the Koopas finally come out and they reveal one Koopa Troopa holding the key in the lock, letting you know that that's how they got out. And then Roy charges at her and says, like, we have you now, right, Mom? And as so, so then Princess Peach grabs the yellow cape and immediately does a bullfighting routine and goes, ole! And runs Roy through a wall. And then uh, Wendy says, that cape, where? 
Me join this family? Never. She opens up a window in a spectacular scene with her hair blowing, the cape catching the wind. Like, oh my gosh, this is just epic Princess Peach. Like, she is kick-ass, hot bitch in charge. Who needs Mario? She's taking care of it herself. And then she looks at the tower and sees that she's on the very top floor. She can't survive a fall, but the troop, uh, the Koopalings charge at her anyway. She backs up and falls off the cape, falls off the bridge with the yellow cape. Now, as gamers, we know what that cape is capable of, but I guess in this world, it's uh, she's gonna find that out, or she dies, and then the rest of the issue get takes a very dark turn. Yeah. And that uh, then we see Mario and Luigi peeling the corner of the page, saying she sure stole the spotlight this month. Break a leg, princess. And we gotta say this. Uh, this is probably going to be like one of the best. Like I can't imagine it being this good all the time. Princess. Yeah, it's pretty good. Ass. Yeah, she's kicking ass, looking hot. This is. This is some quality comic. <clears throat> get her, get her room. Why don't you? <laughs> so. All right. You so get to see that voice. Oh, Mike. Okay. Now it's, now it's getting creepy. Hey, baby, you can get my one up. All right. So speaking of getting a one up, let's get a <laughs> one update on Super <laughs> NES technology for the CD-ROM. So we've got a whole section in here that is uh, very interesting and bizarre given the history that we now know. So... There's a whole article in here in Isn't Power that's talking about um, CD-ROM technology. It's talking about how at the uh, Winter CES in Las Vegas, Nintendo announced that a CD-ROM drive would be available for use for the Super NES and introduced to the public in January of 1993. So this is, what, April of 92? And they're saying it's going to be out by January of the following year. Uh, they also say that it's going to cost $200. Um, they also say they've got games in development. Um, so this is um, intended to be a peripheral update to your system that will plug into the, um, I forget what it's called, expansion port on the bottom of your Super NES. And uh, you'll have special games that can use it. So they're talking about uh, what the games will be like. Well, they'll use full motion video for one. And a full they 9 megs to, of RAM. Yeah, they're good. they can... Uh, uh, so they have like a, a picture of like a set photo from RoboCop saying, with CD-ROM, games based on movies like RoboCop may well use actual footage and full motion video sequences. It talks about the capacity. Uh, it says, with 500 megabytes of information, you could store more than 1,000 games the size of Super Mario World on a single disc. Um, so... Um, then they talk about, uh, they have lots of screenshots of apparently a game in development called Guest, which looks like you're looking at a haunted house that is sort of like a, it looks like an old school 3D, early 90s, um, a style 3D, I think like Lawnmower Man and, type and, uh, 3D and just, quality. Yeah, before we go, a quick math correction for yeah. 1,000 sized game, for 1,000 4 meg games. <laughs> Would be four gigs, so we're talking a DVD, not a CD. Well, megabits is different from megabytes, Mike. Oh, frick. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, um, I still think the math works out, though. I think they're, I think they're full of it. Um, they say like more than well, they did, well, they did, one thing they did get right was a CD-ROM can store more than five hundred megabytes of information. 
Well, yeah, it's store 700. We all know that when we use it's we, like we know, 650 or 700, depending on what kind you get. Yeah. And we get to see like that. Uh, maybe the early ones were 500, you know? They try to give us like a comparison saying that like we can, uh, like the Philips, also Philips itself developed the CD. Well, you think when they made a CD based game that the, being the masters, it would have taken off, but. Yeah, so they have a picture here of Philips CDI system. Uh, and say, hey, take a look at this one. And it has a TV. It's got uh, stereo speakers. It's got the CDI system. And then it's like, ours will be similar to this, but we'll plug into the Super NES. <coughs> so, and then they have pictures of the scheme again. Um, they've got like a semi-holographic actress against a 3D background. It's a basic point-and-click adventure game. So I don't know if this game was actually ever released for anything Nest? else. Yeah. Hmm. Have you heard of it? Uh, no, but I can wiki it right now. Oh, all right. So um, for anyone that doesn't know, is I will kind of give you an update on what happened here. So initially what happened with this is I believe they first tried to partner with um, Philips. Uh, yeah, so Nintendo first tried to partner with Philips for the CDRAM technology for their for their update, their attachment. Um, and I think the reason why they were getting into this is their their competition um, on the Sega side was getting into this. They released the uh, Sega CD, Sega 32X. Um, so they're trying to get ahead of the of the technology curve here and extend the life of the Super NES to match that competition. So, anyways, they try to get into a deal with Philips. Um, and uh, to create this peripheral. And they actually went so far as to have contracts drawn up and all kinds of negotiations and whatnot just to drop them out um, at like no no warning basically and essentially breach their contract that they made with Philips and attempt to, to uh, work with Sony instead for whatever reason. So they got into an arrangement with Sony where they were going to work with Sony to create the um, Nintendo PlayStation is what they were going to call it. And it would be a Super Nintendo um, slash um, a CD uh, combination. So it will play both Super Nintendo games and Super Nintendo CDs, basically. And uh, it was long fabled as a rumor. And if you've looked around the internet recently, a actual working prototype has has surfaced where the it's Nintendo a Nintendo PlayStation. Yes. The Nintendo PlayStation it has the branding on it. It plays both Super Famicom and Super Nintendo games. Um, there were never any games developed for the um, Nintendo PlayStation, so they have a like a demo disc, I think, right? That works, or they can get into like the debug mode of it. So it was working, and it was a prototype that was essentially um, shown around, ready to be shipped. Well, Nintendo decided to back out of that one altogether as well. So, what did Sony do? Well, they decided to go ahead and create the PlayStation, which was obviously a competitor to Nintendo's interests. And now, of course, Sony has their PlayStation 4. It's, uh, it's the biggest selling console on the market right now. They, were, they also had the market leadership for um, PlayStation 2 during that console generation. 
and so on and so forth. So we know the future of Sony. We know what happened with that relationship. So what happened with Philips? Well, Philips, uh, instead of creating uh, a success out of this and going, hey, we're going to create our own uh, video game system instead. Screw you guys. We have this Philips CDI system. They um, decided to take Nintendo to court over this. And they won. And one of the things they won was the rights to use Nintendo's characters in creating video games. So what they didn't win was the uh, ability for Nintendo to actually create those games. So there are some very rare to find uh, to find games out there, um, which are I think there's three games created. There's one Zelda one and two Mario ones, I believe. No, there's two Zelda around. ones. Two Zelda ones and one Mario one? Yeah. And um, they're like point-and-click adventure games, essentially. And they are awful. Um, so they are legitimately used. Um, they won the lawsuit. They could use the characters, but obviously they, they hired whoever else to develop these games for them. And they are just god-awful games. If you want to look at some horrible animations, some horrible illustration, horrible voice acting. Yes, there's voice acting in it. Uh, most bizarre of worlds. Uh, go oh, find this, a clip on YouTube. Oh, the scene where Link and uh, Zelda are laughing. And you can see like that old guy with like uh, that squiggle vision going on. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like it's like the night. It's like a nightmare episode of Doctor Katz. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So uh, obviously, Philips CDI did not um, do terribly well. It was expensive, limited in 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 power, and. Uh, didn't take off. Um, so that died uh, a quick death, and those games have lived on in infamy. And of course, Nintendo uh, held steadfast and for whatever reason decided to not make a disc based game until the GameCube when they finally gave in. Um, and now there's rumor that they're going to go back to cartridges with their next console, the Nintendo NX, which is rumored to be released or announced uh, next year, anyways. So, did you find any more about this art game here, guest? Uh, no, I just saw a bunch of different other things, like something about Secret of Mana. Because <laughs> apparently there was supposed to be a Zelda a CD expansion, apparently. Well, and we kind of mentioned this in another episode, um, but I'll mention it again. So, um, Square was in develop heavy development at this time for Final Fantasy VII. Um and they originally had intended to release it on the Super Nintendo. And um, when that didn't pan out, or when they got uh, further in development, and um, they, they thought, thought about porting over to the N64. So they started developing it for the N64. And then they realized, hey, we want to take advantage of this full motion video thing. So then they switched to developing it for the PlayStation 1. And so Final Fantasy VII is on PlayStation and nothing else. And that's why. Hmm. Well, yeah, I'm looking at Secret of Mana for Escapist Magazine article. And mm -hmm. it says that uh, there was the SNES version scrapped the names of the characters that you originally meet. Hmm. And it says that Secret of Mana was originally designed to be released on the in North America via the NES CD add-on. Near the end of development, that deal between Nintendo and Sony fell through with Sony deciding to develop the SNES CD into the PlayStation, the designed game was salvaged by cutting a significant amount of data to make it fit on an SNES cartridge, and a large portion of the story's script was cut after a certain point, as well as a few mini-games 
and sprites. Various different routes which would lead to different endings were removed and substituted with linear gameplay. The designer, Koichi Ishii, estimated 40% of this game's content <gasps> was cut. Oh my gosh. And producer Hiromichi Tanaka stated that the original storyline had a darker tone. Due to drastic cuts, there was virtually zero character development remaining. Wow. That actually breaks my heart because I actually love that game. The way and there it turned was out. so much more. Yeah, considering we, there was another 40% that we're missing out on. Yeah, mini games, a story. Oh, like, the goodness. story was great, but the characters just seemed like, well, this is how you're going to make this story happen. But, you know, right. these characters actually had like lives and multiple endings. Think about that. You could have had a game where you get to save the sprite at the end rather than like, well, now she's part of the mana tree. Or he's right. part of the mana tree. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Z- Nintendo, you fucked up so badly. <laughs> You did. Yeah, this is a really you know they made a good they kept they made a great game, a good game, and they created their biggest competition ever. So they really did. You know, it it just makes you wonder. I mean, because this is obviously a huge misstep for Nintendo, and probably the first one they made uh, ever. Honestly, as far as a big misstep goes, aside from a couple miscellaneous peripherals, you know. Yes. This is their first major misstep that would that would cause yeah, them to endless, lose the market share. Endless ramifications. Right. I mean, uh, you know, you wonder if what would have happened if they had just not uh, tried to build a CD-based game whatsoever. Would Sony have even tried to build the PlayStation on its own? Or yeah, they don't was it be because a, of the Nintendo shit. partnership that they got into this? You know? Yeah, they'd only be making VCRs and shit. The Walkman. Yeah. Two th- the Walkman 2000. <laughs> All right. So that's that's. I think I pretty much covered it pretty well there. Um, I can't find anything about guests. I ended up getting Secret of Mana instead. So <laughs> no. uh, it looks like this prototype never saw the light of day. I kept getting seventh guest. Hmm. If you guys want more information about um, the Nintendo PlayStation, I highly recommend looking up Ben Heck's uh, YouTube channel. And, not uh, our he, Ben. Not our Ben. Not me. Different guy. Uh, guy's awesome. He creates a ton, ton of, um, of hardware mods. And, and, uh, he and, created uh, a game called Super Boss Gaiden made for this system. So that means that we may soon <laughs> get an SNES emulator. <laughs> a Super Nintendo CD emulator. And who knows... Maybe we can start making that. Maybe we can start making that Secret of Mana expansion before getting slammed by a cease and desist order. Maybe. So, anyways, look up Ben Hicks' channel. The, the key to uh, avoiding channel. that, yeah, the key yes. to avoiding that is not announcing it until it's done. That's right, and release it. Release it everywhere, so there's not one place they could shut it down. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, so anyways, look up Ben Hex YouTube channel and look for the teardown on uh, the Nintendo PlayStation. It's pretty interesting, and he actually takes it from not completely non-functional to fully functional. Oh, you want to see a complete um, timeline? There's also uh, emu.gbxemu.com and uh, previews slash Nintendo SNES CD-ROM. You get to see the entire timeline from 1991 to the middle of 1993 to where it all like these are where all the steps are made and it all goes bad Mm, nice all right and it ends Um, and it ends with a quote from nintendo power saying the next time when someone tells you that cd-rom is the wave of the future tell them the future doesn't belong to the snails 
What? I guess because CDs are faster. <laughs> or, oh, because oh, they don't load fast. Is that why? Uh, That's funny. But no, maybe uh, that may that may have been that may have been them gloating over like, well, we don't need these CDs because who needs load times? Let's just, our our people don't want graphics; they want to play games. Right. All right. So let's move on here to uh, Counselor's Corner. We've got uh, Eric Bush talking about uh, Final Fantasy II. Oh, the end of this article you missed. The Super NES CD-ROM will open up great new worlds of fun, and it's just around the corner. Yeah, right. Oh, Liars. Oh, no, Nintendo, no, no. So we got uh, Counselor's Corner. The, uh, the, uh, we got the... The information-free counselors. We got Eric Bush, who I mean, he looks like he's like modeling for a boy band cover. <laughs> like it looks like his hair is tussled and blowing in the wind, and he's just like giving like a bit of teeth in that smile, but not a smile. It's like just like mm -hmm. a resting face showing some teeth, and he's just like, "Hey, girl." <laughs> nice. Okay. Then we got Terry Munson talking about Super Mario World. This guy belongs in a uh, uh, J. Crew commercial. <laughs> yep, and uh, we're asking like, where's the secret island? Where's the secret exit in Chocolate Island? And then we get to uh, see how do I find all ninety-six worlds? You can defeat Bowser without visiting them all. If you missed a world, here's what to do: make sure you found the secret exits. I'm pretty sure he was asking about how to find those secret exits. Because obviously that's how you find. That's obviously how you get to places. And it says if an area is marked with a red dot, there's two exits. I'm pretty sure in the Forest of Illusion there may be a third or fourth, you know. But uh, yeah, almost yeah. Everything in the Forest of Illusion has secret areas. And nice. it says in, in Bowser's World you want to make sure you go through all the pipes. Mm -hmm. And I can see Final Fantasy Adventure with a guy Melvin Forrest. Yeah. This guy is either uh, gay or not straight. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is very, uh, I mean, like very fluttery in his in his appearance. And yeah. then we finally end with uh, Richard Ham. You know, you go through life with the name Dick Ham. <laughs> that's a porn name right there. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, so moving on to the Adams Family for the Super Nintendo. I get to see Raul Julia saying he seems to have lost his family. Mm -hmm. uh, well, actually, your family lost you, but... Oh. So, what is this? Oh, it's a platformer you play as uh, Gomez Adams. So, is this not... After the movie, it's just. It's like, I guess it's supposed to be in that world because you do get to see uh, Christopher Lloyd as Fez in the in the background. Yeah, I mean, you see pictures from the movie, the first movie, but um, it has nothing to do. This game has nothing to do with the storyline. Yeah, so. it seems like uh, yeah. Well, Gomez has lost everybody in his family, whereas in the movie, it was just Uncle Fester who was lost to the family. Mm -hmm. I so, gotta see that movie again. See, I gotta see I, if it holds up. I saw it recently. It's odd. It does. It's kind of holds up. 
the the whole um, the bad guys, the um, klutzy guy, attorney, and then yeah. the the mother, quote unquote. Yeah, the guys that bring Uncle Fester back to the family. Yeah, they're just they're way overacting, you know. Um, so the parts with them are a little grating because they're just smack of that, uh, you know, early '90s, late '80s, like the kids over, overacting. The kid yeah, villain, the, where it's just like I'm villain. gonna, I'm gonna destroy music. <laughs> you know, it's it may as well be like that third, you know, uh, the Three Stooges kind of thing. But as far as like everybody else, um, I enjoy everyone else in it. I did not enjoy Christopher Lloyd as um, Fester in most in most of the movie, just because like they put him in a situation where he has amnesia, you know, and so like he's either acting like this weird stepson character or he's actually acting like Fester. When he's acting like Fester, he's great in there, you know? But it's like the same, same issue I had with the, with the other bad guys kind of thing. It's just so kind of cartoony and, and uh, eye-roll eye roll worthy, you know? The kid, the kid bad guys. Anyway, so it looks like your standard platformer um, in here. Not a whole lot to say. Um... It looks decent. I'm trying to figure out who made it here. From Ocean? Yeah. They have a lot of coverage that just show, like, maps of this whole game, basically. Interesting bosses, like the big bird. They basically, yeah. like, jump on his head, so it's a Mario boss. And, and then the, the snowman. Is, yeah, the art is, like, kind of cartoony, almost. Yeah, like, it doesn't look it. realistic. Yeah. It looks family friendly, fun, um, and you called it. They do have like uh, in the actual game. If you look at the the back of the the poster fold out, you see Christopher Lloyd. Uh, he's actually in a painting in the game, and it looks like they have pictures of Real Julia and I can't remember Angelica. What's her last name? Houston. Houston. Thank you. And they have Lurch in there. And by the way, dude, I listened to that the one that I wasn't on, where you were like talking about um, uh, Christina Ricci. Yeah. Oh my god! When I was when I was the age of when that movie came out, I had a major crush on her, and uh, that like go. extended for me into you know because it was the same age as her pretty much, so that extended for me like well into adulthood. You oh know? yeah, she she's still cute. Yeah. Oh, like anytime I see like, you know, something pop up where it's like Christina Ricci topless in this new movie. I'm like, oh, must go find, must go find, you know. Yep. <laughs> yeah, she's adorable. Yeah. All right. So next up, we've got a fold out poster for Street Fighter 2, which is an awesome poster. It's a really nice comic book style illustration of all the different uh, fighters from Street Fighter 2 going at it on sort of a mountainscape. <laughs> With the Zang city in the background. <laughs> Zangief is getting double teamed by Dalsam and Blanca. Yeah. And all, and all he has is his clothed cock to protect him. <laughs> yeah. That's a weird shading they put on his uh, gr groin area. It yeah, just he, looks like, like yeah, he has like a tiny bulge. piece. Yeah, you can see some <laughs> bulging in there. But uh, yeah. did Zangief have a mohawk? Um, I thought he did. Okay, it looks like Mr. T in this one, but... Maybe there was... I think it's a little higher than it should be. I don't remember it being that high. 
And then we're missing, we actually are missing M. Bison on here. Yeah, well, they're all waiting for their shot to take on M. Bison. True, I'm just saying normally you see him yeah. included. Yeah, you would see him in the background, like, waiting for the waiting for the last one standing. Right. All right. So next up we've got Super WrestleMania Slam Bam Action. So let's dig in and see what characters they have this time for us. So we've still got the Macho Man, Randy Savage. We've got Jake the Snake Roberts. We've got The Undertaker. We've got Hulk Hogan. We have Hawk. Earthquake, Animal, Typhoon, Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, and Sid Justice. I thought it was Sid Vicious, but I guess it's Sid Justice. In this yeah, one. this is Sid Justice, and he is just completely orange. He looks more like an Oscar statue than a person. He looks completely orange in real life, so this is accurate. <laughs> the guy is like constantly glazed. <laughs> I'm looking just at, like I'm looking someone at... dip me in grease. <laughs> if I'm not greased, I'm not a man. Mm-hmm. That's right. Then we see Hawk and Animal, which were the uh, the proto juggalos. <laughs> yeah, you can tell you can tell why these guys are wearing face paint because they're not attractive for sellable. I mean, Hawk <laughs> literally has a bald, giant bald spot and a mustache. Oh my gosh! Uh, did the juggalos come out? Like, when did ICP come out? Was it the 90s late nineties? Late 90s. So these are proto-juggalos then. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we get to see, like, a completely mismatched set of uh, Hawk fighting Ted DiBiase. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the Million Dollar Man, right? Yep. Although he seems to have dropped the Million Dollar Man because of character limits. <laughs> yeah. They call him Ted DiBiase. So you've got a bunch of moves here that are pretty common in wrestling. Uh, you can toss people out of the ring. You can do um, tag team matches. And they have a Survivor Series, which means um, the two-team journey isn't over until all four members of one, t- of one team have been pinned. So is it four on four? It looks like two on two. But it's confusing the way they wrote it. Yeah, I don't think that the multi tap out. So yeah. So then they get into uh, the best part. They talk about each uh, of the of uh, the wrestlers here. So this is interesting. I didn't think that uh, Macho Man was that tall compared to the Undertaker, but he apparently is six five and three hundred two pounds. Oh my gosh! So he's a complete muscly monster, and he's six foot five, three hundred two pounds. I didn't and think it was six foot five. I thought it was shorter than that. No, apparently, apparently everyone in wrestling is just so tall. Yeah, I mean, like you, you see him in that video, <laughs> better than the best, where he's shoving that woman around, and apparently she must be six foot five. Cause she must be six foot because he's only about five, like half a foot taller than her. Oh, that 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 video clip was just the best. He's like, let the mind, let the sky separate, let the ground tremble. Even if there's no bad weather, you will hear a reckoning. People talking about certain things, meaning different things to different people. But when they talk about greatness, they're only talking one thing. Macho King. No, they're not. Yes, they are. No, they're not. And then he throws her away. (laughs) 
And then he's like, you gotta understand there's only one person who brings consistency and to the integrity. And then he tells her to get back after he throws her away. And then she does. Like, that is just... Who was that, that Miss Elizabeth? Uh, no, not Miss Elizabeth. The stunning Sherry or something. Oh, uh, okay. And she's, and she's just like, they're only talking one man, Macho King. Say it again, Macho King. Who's better than the best? And then she's like screaming, Macho King's better than the best. Which you know he made her say while fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. All right. So that's Macho Man. Uh, they talk about the he's got the, the elbow drop, of course, is his move. And uh, says, try it on Randy's arch enemy, Jake the Snake Roberts. Show Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, have you ever seen that um, documentary, Beyond the Mat? No, never heard of it. But uh, uh, I never got into wrestling. But considering how bizarre and wacky it is now, I really missed out. I, I, I should have added this to my repertoire. Yeah, I mean, I got into wrestling in uh, high school after playing, um, and we'll get to it eventually, I'm sure, WCW versus NWO for the N64. Uh, it was just so fun. I just had to learn more about the characters. Um, but anyways, uh, so I got into learning more about rest- wrestling later on. And they, they came out with this um, documentary in the early 2000s called Beyond the Mat. This is not an official uh, WWF documentary or anything. So it follows three wrestlers. It follows Mick Foley. A.K.A. Mankind follows um, one of the guy I can't remember Terry Terry Funk, who's mostly known from like uh, indie wrestling and uh, ECW, and it covers Jake the Snake Roberts, um, and he's like at least in the early two thousands he's still wrestling, and like it just went into like how like he his life was just like a complete like mess basically like he was still doing drugs on the road doing these small shows getting his body like beat up his relationships with his kids and his ex-wives and all that were awful and just like that it was kind of depressing and then they came out with that um uh movie with with mickey rourke uh the wrestler a few years after that and it was not that far off. I mean, it's pretty accurate in terms of like what what their depiction of a wrestler um, in later years was like. You know, unless you're like the top built guy kind of thing. And even for these guys, you know, it's 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 a life. But uh, anyways, so his takedown is the DDT. I don't remember what that stands for, uh, but it basically just smashes your head into the into the uh, <laughs> into the mat. <laughs> the drop um, dead takedown, I guess. But I guess his his thing towards the end of his career in the WWF was um, his thing was to get biblical, and he would have a Bible with him, and um, and he was he would always be like like the quoting like John three sixteen or saying John three sixteen right, and Let's get biblical biblical. <laughs> so for like. Um, it was one of his first major wins and entrances, or the first time he really made a splash. Stone Cold Steve Austin. He, uh, for some championship, I think, uh, or a big pay-per-view, he came comes in and whoops uh, Jake the Snake's Robert's ass. And he's like, oh, you're all about, you're all about John 316? Well, I'm all about Austin 316. And it says, I just kicked your ass. <laughs> and then for years and years, and I'm sure they still do today, they've been holding up signs in the audience that say Austin 316. 
Oh yeah. So. I was just uh, looking up a bit of history on Ted DiBiase. It's uh, quite a bit of a story. He's the biological son of a wrestler, Helen Nevins, mm-hmm. and Ted Willis, an entertainer and singer. So his mom is the wrestler in the family. Nice. I mean, like that 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 that's a pedigree right there. Yeah. And he's the adopted son of Iron Mike DiBiase, who was Italian. Hmm. And Michael DiBiase, again, a wrestler in his own right, held several championships and accomplishments. I'm not going to name all of them, but American Wrestling Association, Central State Wrestling, Championship Wrestling from Florida, NWA Chicago. So even like, I guess, in the uh, even even in the uh, 50s, he was probably the new world of NWA. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And it says he was in Rocky Mountain, Tri-State, Western State Sports, Pacific Northwest Wrestling. And uh, he was such a, uh, he was one of the few professional wrestlers to die during a match. Hmm. Did he really? Yep. He uh, had a fatal heart attack in the ring with Man Mountain Mike. Well, well, did it say what uh, federation this was in? Uh, well, shit. It was, it was after his WF days, I'm sure. No, this no, this was this no, no this isn't WWF. This is Michael DiBiase, not Ted DiBiase. Oh, my bad. Yeah, my, Ted DiBiase still alive, but Michael DiBiase had a fatal heart attack in the ring with Man Mountain Mike, mm. who I'm looking at him and he's basically a a bubba. Mm. Like if you look at him, he's got like a big beard, balding, and a big fat guy in the overalls. And he died in 1988 at the age of 47 due to blood clots and diabetes. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I guess wrestling wasn't like wrestling was a harsh game. And, you know, just because you're a wrestler doesn't mean you were in good physical fitness. But uh, Ted DiBiase is still alive and he had he's 50, 62 years old. Hmm. And he headlined the 2010 WWE ceremony being inducted by his sons, Ted and Brett. Hmm. He has a son named Ted. Nice. Ted Jr. Yeah. All right, so Undertaker is in here, and uh, I can't remember his. I don't remember his move. I think he has one called like the Tombstone, where he just it's basically like a pile driver, uh, glorified pile driver kind of thing. Um, he's still wrestling, from what I remember. I mean, not like super regularly, but he's still doing it. So, and he had that. Uh, do you remember that fat guy that walked? They followed him around. Uh, wait, who? Who? The Undertaker. He had a fat guy named Paul Bearer that <laughs> wore like a ghastly makeup to make himself look like white or dead or something. Like the crow? And yeah, no, more like a vaudeville view of like a vampire or something. <laughs> and uh, he would walk around with like an urn following the Undertaker everywhere and he would like use it he would like jump in the ring sometimes and sprinkle you know, ashes in their eyes sprinkle ashes in someone else's eyes or smack <laughs> him with a urn that kind of thing oh I'm sure goodness. that I'm sure that guy's long dead but the Undertaker's still kicking it oh my gosh he, he, then, he looks pretty fierce like he looks like a, like a demon cowboy yeah <laughs> yeah he's not uh, been a big uh, talker either he's not a big talker he uses his uh, stare kind of thing his physical presence <laughs> he lets his fist do the talking mm-hmm. he's a really I mean he's 6'6 six, six. he's a tall guy um, so 
Uh, natural disasters, earthquake, and typhoon. I this is before my time uh, yeah, watching the, it. The, these guys are peewees. They're only six foot two and one. Yeah, these are just big fat guys, basically. That and I'm sure are dead by now, given that they were either 475 or 358 pounds. Oh my um, gosh, I got to look up earthquake. Hold on, uh, earthquake and typhoon. Talk about uh, the next guy. Okay. Uh, next guy is Hulk Hogan, who you guys all know, I'm sure. And um, so he was um, still big in in WWE this time. He eventually moved over to WCW, and it was a big like you know slap on the face kind of thing. Um, and then he, when WCW bought, uh, got bought out by WWE, he went back. Was in and out of wrestling for a while, and uh, recently got disavowed from WWE. They removed all his archival footage, basically eliminating like the existence. Even though what he, yeah, the holster's uh, been removed. They have wiped him from the face of their organization completely because um, during a lawsuit against Gawker Media, who uh, and I'll get into that in a second. He they leaked some. Um, audio clips of him saying some racial slurs um and um <laughs> so like oh it was just some I weird the, thing i thought the hulkster was all about love and equality hey, he's just a i mean he's just a wrestler he's just a big dumb, dumb guy you know and he got like his black friends to go on twitter and be like oh you, hulk's not racist you know dennis robbins out there going oh hulk's, hulk's not racist you know believe us and I guess it didn't matter. They just removed him anyways. Yeah, there's different shades of racism. Like, you, you can, like, say a word that gets tossed around. But, I mean, like, look at all the rappers that say it. I mean, it doesn't no. make them racist. And, I mean, like, it's just, like, if it's just a word, fine. But if, like, it affects, like, how you treat people or, you know, like, right. what are his actions? Has he acted racist? Like, has he, like, no, smacked it's a just black guy it's... around in the ring and be like, yeah, that's for like leaving the the field or like 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 he didn't right. he hasn't done that. No, and he's not. He's used some language I'm sure that was inappropriate yeah. and was recorded without his knowledge and then released basically. Yeah, language doesn't make you racist. You should be able to talk, you know, however you want and not have your words uh, displayed uh, without your permission or consent. I mean, like it, it's his actions that define the man. Not just like casual words that he tosses around. Well, and what's ironic about that is the what what got him into the lawsuit in the first place was he was suing Gawker Media, who posted his sex tape online, and the sex tape was recorded without his knowledge. Um, he like was having like he basically asked this dude who's like a radio host, or the dude the, the dude was like, "Hey, you want to have sex with my wife?" Wasn't and that Bubba the Love Sponge? Yeah, Bubble Love Sponge. He was like, hey, hey, Hulk, you want to have sex with my wife? He's like, okay. And then, like, I guess he had, he had like, a... I'll show her my seven-inch python. He had a, yeah, he had a, he had a record, like, a recorder in, like, the corner of the room, basically. And he leaked it later to Gawker or sold it to him or whatever. And they, like, refused to take it down. Even though he's like, hey, this has been recorded by my, my consent. I didn't, I didn't... Uh, you know, sign up waiver saying you could use this, take it down. And they refused to, so they got into a life lawsuit about it. And part of the lawsuit, they, you know, to make besmirch his image, they released those audio clips that they found. Well, so that's the bad news for Hulk. The good news is he won something like four hundred fifty million dollars or something. Um, 
in the lawsuit. He won. It's pretty hard to shed tears for the Hulkster. Yeah. Um, so did you find any information about those guys? Oh, yeah. The Natural Disasters was a professional wrestling tag team of Earthquake, John Tenta, and Typhoon, Fred Ottoman, who competed in the World Wrestling Federation between 1991 and 1993. And they held the tag team championship on one occasion. So it's pretty uh, it's pretty freaking sad that they <laughs> their debut was one. one. They were disbanded in 1993. Awesome. And as for did they... Oh my gosh, I just saw a name show up. It says, uh, after their split in 1993, they began showing signs of dissension, noticeably at the 1993 Royal Rumble. Typhoon was already in the ring when Earthquake entered as number 23, and he immediately went after his tag team partner, focusing <laughs> only on him until Typhoon was eliminated. The disaster's feud never came to fruition as Earthquake never as Earthquake left the WWF early in 1993. Typhoon stayed briefly with the WWF after Earthquake left, but never made anything as a singles competitor. He signed with NCW and made his infamous debut as the Shockmaster. <laughs> oh my god. What the hell? Was he listening to his buddies describe sex moves and he's just like... I sent you that video, right? <laughs> Do you remember what that video one? I sent you? The Shockmaster's debut? No. Oh, it's freaking hilarious. Um, they basically like talk up like, oh, my tag team partner is going to be the Shockmaster. And like the, the <laughs> camera pans to this like wall and it's supposed to be this guy like busting through the drywall. And instead, <laughs> instead this guy like busts through the drywall and then immediately falls on his face. <laughs> and his getup was a, and I shit you not. It was a stormtrooper helmet they had they had sprayed with silver glitter, <laughs> and uh, he was wearing like uh, a like a like a Chewbacca like vest type thing, mm-hmm. and so he had to like get up, put the mask on, and of course like you can't like talk when you have like that mask on. There's no like voice or anything. He doesn't have a mic or anything. So like. He's staying there waiting for whoever's off stage, like supposed to be doing his voice for like a good like ten seconds before his voice kicks in. I mean, it's the most it's the worst introduction of a character ever. This is what in wrestling. happens. That's what happens when you let morons with no technical experience. I mean, this is the WWF. You'd think they could hire some tech guys to be like, okay, listen, this is a show. It's all theater, and part of theater means having good special effects and a decent yeah. production team. Oh, it was bad. Oh, they, <laughs> it was they, so they bad. must have had money. They didn't spend it all on barbells. I mean, they must have spent some of that money on technical. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, but it says it was earthquake, a total screw up. Earthquake traveled to Japan mm-hmm. in 1993, but made a brief return in 1994 to engage in a sumo versus sumo feud with Yokozuna. Mm. And in a few months, Earthquake was in the WWF. No mention of the tag team was made. And in 2001, the WWF hosted a reunion of the natural disasters as they were both involved in the gimmick battle royale of WrestleMania X7. Fred Mm. Ottoman wrestled as Tugboat instead of Typhoon. Your wrestling name is Tugboat. (laughs) Tugboat. Wow. His name is fucking Tugboat. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Director Bobby Heenan did allude to their previous alliance. Also, it was Earthquake who wound up eliminating Tugboat. 
Oh my god, you you got that fucking embarrassing name and you couldn't even win with it. Twice it got eliminated by this guy in a Royal Rumble. Uh, December that year, Earthquake wrestled in a tryout dark match at a SmackDown taping but made no appearances. And John Tenta, Earthquake, died from bladder cancer in 2006. Called it. Although, uh... Tugboat's still alive? <laughs> the tugboat tugs on. All and right. It's hoping me yet. You, you gotta see his Wikipedia picture. This guy is not only fucking huge, but he's in front of a poster. He's in front of a poster that's a G.I. Joe mock-up. Nice. So, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You're going to see his ring names. Big Bubba, Bubba the Belt Collector, U.S. Steel, Big Steel Man, Tugboat Tyler, Tugboat Thomas, Tugboat Typhoon, Shockmaster, (laughs) and then I guess he ate a power mushroom because now he's super Shockmaster. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) His debut was 1984, and he retired in 2001. Those all sound like porno porno character names. <laughs> that sounds like that. If Ron, that would be like Ron the Jeremy's super nickname. Master. Yeah, would, like Ron Jeremy's nickname would be Tugboat. Mm-hmm. And then John Tenta, his ooh, he was born in British Columbia. So hey, there you go. The uh, the earthquake is Canadian, and his profession, his nicknames was Avalanche, the Canadian earthquake. Earthquake, Earthquake Evans, the Gargoyle, Golga. I guess he was only the first. I wonder who played the 13th. And John Tenta, so he wrestled as that. And Koto Tenta, sumo. Koto Tenzan, sumo. And the Shark. Hmm. And he was trained by Giant Baba. <laughs> okay. Oh All my right. gosh. There's such a rich history in this. Like, Forget, like, comics. This has a rich mythology and storylines and shit. Yeah, it's, I'm telling you, you know. It's so, like uh, wrestling is It's kind of like a uh, um, soap opera for, for dudes. Oh, and it's, basically it's just what better. It is. <laughs> I, it, they end up recycling a lot of storylines at some point or it gets over the top ridiculous or there's just no payoff. Like you, you, you watch like you know enough pay-per-views in a row. You're just like, okay, I'm really tired of, of this same thing happening, or the person that should win not winning, etc. Uh, that's kind of why I stopped watching. It was just like the, the the repetition kind of thing that goes in. It goes in cycles, and uh, it, it's never. I mean, there are some very few like ultra satisfi- satisfying moments in in storylines, basically, um, yeah. and. Um, a lot of it's just like filling for time, you know, to make sure you try and get you to watch like the next pay-per-view and, and, and yeah, so, uh, pay for that. So it seems like all the entertainment of the uh, macho man, Randy Savage, he, he seemed to be like the, the exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So we've got, uh, we talked about the Legion of Doom a little bit. Did we? Cause I just looked upon them and they're, uh, they're actually known as the road warriors and mm. here's their group. Road Warrior Hawk, Road Warrior Animal, Paul Ellering, the manager, Crush, Draws, Heidenreich, Power Warrior, Sonny as the as a valet, and mm. Christy Hem. And I looked up these girls, and one of them is a uh, American professional wrestling manager, personality, occasional wrestler, and porn actress. Nice. And she is considered the first diva. 
Oh, okay. From this the like 90s. A... Interesting. She's, she's born in 1972, making her 43. She's five foot four, and her build weight was 118 pounds and trained by some guys. And so she's definitely, uh, well, she fills out that referee shirt, which, of course, uh, is opened, exposing her tits. Because, you know, why actually have actual women wrestling? Nobody wants to see that, apparently. <laughs> there, the People do actually watch that. I know, but it's just like, of course, these guys, this misogynistic patriarchal bullshit is just like, instead of having the women actually wrestle on their own level, like, no, mm-hmm. let's just like have them dress up as a referee with their tits hanging out. <laughs> and then we got the pornography career. In 1997, Playboy approached uh, Tammy Lynn Sitch, who played Sonny. I remember. And, yep, they t- they approached her for posing. Big old magazine. fakies. Oh yeah, her her tits are as real as wrestling. Right. And according to Sitch, Playboy offered her six figures to pose for them. And Rena Sable Marrow, with whom Sitch had real life animosity, later said Playboy never contacted her for a photos shoot. She did pose nude for Missy Hyatt's adult website, Wrestling Vixens, which she later said she regretted. Regretted. And then Sitch released a porno film through Vivid called Sunny Side Up in through the back door. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. And then what the hell was Christy Hem? Uh, 1980, professional wrestling valet, ring announcer, singer, retired professional wrestler, and model. So no porn. And she's gorgeous. She's 35. So she's not used up yet. <laughs> <laughs> And she was part of the Diva Search in 2004. So Sunny was the first, apparently. And she was part of the team of the Road Warriors. Or as I need to call them, the Proto-Juggalos. Because that's exactly what they are. <laughs> they look like rejects from Mad Max. Yeah, they got the their, their, their gear that they wear on their entrances. looks very reminiscent of uh, Road Warriors. Of, well, I mean, of like Mad Max. Now, now we know where they stole the name. Yeah, pretty much. I think that's where they got it from. All right. So then we've got uh, Sid Justice, who I always knew as Sid Vicious, but that's just from his WCW days. It's probably a, God. This man uh, is a living Nintendo character because he's yeah. completely orange. I mean, uh, I, I've never seen another white guy with a jerry curl going on, but he's got one. And yes, he is orange in, in real life. He is. Trump like, ain't got nothing on this guy. Yeah, he is he is the perfect Nintendo character, and mm-hmm. strangely enough, because they made him on the Super Nintendo instead of the Nintendo, they actually didn't make him as orange. Right, he's this less t- he's less orange, <laughs> less orange in the video game than he is in real life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's this goal right here. Yeah. All so right. we look at Road Warrior Hawk, mm-hmm. and uh, his name is Michael Hegstrand. And, of course, born in 1957, died in uh, 2003, so at the age of 46. At his death, uh, they said he bought a condominium near their current home. They were packing their boxes the night before. Said he felt tired, went to take a nap. His wife checked up on him, and he had died of a heart attack in his sleep. And then the other road warrior, Animal, uh, still kicking it, and he's 56. And I don't see retired in his wrestling career, which means at the age of 56, he is still active. Hmm. 
because he's on a yeah he's making sporadic appearances uh in the wwe uh they had smackdown on sci-fi or siffy as they've spelled it now it's still better than syphilis he returned to face heath slater in honor of raw's 1000th episode he went on to squash slater he then reappeared on the 1000th episode of wwe smackdown in july 23 with other legends to help lita take down slater so Hmm. one of them is still alive and kicking it and the other just died in his sleep he kicked it all right yeah (laughs) all right Um, ted dibiase with a great screenshot here called a meeting of the minds (laughs) <laughs> yeah he does like a headbutt i guess that's his like oh that's his uh his move there's no bribing players in this game so ted has to try brute strength a brain crushing headbutt is a good start <laughs> nice. you know he actually bought andre the giant's uh a belt did he really yeah i was looking up some of the things ted dibiase did and he bought the damn belt from Andre the Giant in 1988. But, uh, of course, the WWE doesn't recognize this as a title reign. Hmm. So, he, I think he yeah he bought the belt just so he can literally say he held on to it. Nice. All right. So, let's move on here to Super Smash TV. The game I accidentally played. Well, we've... Yeah, I want to say we've kind of already covered this game. It's the same thing as the Nintendo one. I don't know why they decided to cover it twice. Uh, the only because thing the I, graphics are a shit ton better? I know they're way better, but, I mean, it's the same game. The only thing I really like that was interesting about this coverage is on page 95, there is a change. It says, remember Mutoid Man? Well, he's back. This time his upper half takes on the form of the Master of Ceremonies. And so it's got the host of the <laughs> show on Tank Treads, basically. He's a big, giant robot. And apparently when you shoot off his arms, you shoot off his jacket and his shirt, he's wearing a polka-dotted wife beater underneath for some reason. <laughs> I guess he bought that for a dollar. Yeah. So I didn't have anything else on uh, Smash TV here, did you? Uh, no, I'm done. Okay. Although I well, did like the, uh, I'm looking at the uh, the Cobra, the Cobra fight here, and it mm-hmm. looks like a, a Zelda boss, really. A little bit, yeah. All right, so, so next next up we we've got uh, Nestor's Adventures. Yeah, we got Nestor seeing the mailbox for the Adams family, which says R.I.P. So he takes it to mean, must mean ring in person. Hmm. So uh, I guess he knocks on the door, and Lurch answers the door holding Gomez by the ankles at arm's length. So just to let you know uh, the power behind this man. He goes, aha, a mysterious stranger. Just when I need to help me find my family. Down, Lurch. And then Lurch just, just like, lets him go. And then the uh, Nestor says, wow, nice rug. Then it starts taking a bite out of him. And hmm. it starts to swallow Nestor head first. And he goes, I already looked down there. Follow me to the kitchen. And then he goes, I began to suspect the oven when I found one of Wednesday's doll's heads in my omelet this morning. You should stick to toast. So then we get to see uh, Gomez apparently fighting off ants, doing a, a kick, which would have been nice if Gomez could actually do anything besides jump on people like Mario. <laughs> I mean, you think, like, Gomez is famous for his fencing. Like, whenever he, like, he was always practicing fencing with Marticia. Mm-hmm. And even in the uh, the movie, there's definitely a fencing scene at the end. 
Mm-hmm. So you think Gomez could have used like a, a rapier to attack people as well as jump on them, but I guess they just decided, no, the kids like Mario, so we'll make go Mario as. Right. We'll just have a different mustache guy that jumps on people. <laughs> so then Nestor says, I feel like a French fry. Lunchtime? So it is. Let's take the shortcut. And then Nestor's uh, on a ledge with an on written on it. And and uh, Gomez says, don't touch that switch. You'll deactivate the hidden shortcut through this wall. Now, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> and then we get to see Nestor uh, watching Gomez make a sandwich, a, a fish sandwich, literally a fish sandwich. It's even got the, ta- it's because it's got a fish with the tackle and lore, <laughs> with the lore still in its mouth. Mm. <laughs> That's how fresh Gomez likes his food. So then Nestor says, I lost my appetite. And Gomez kind of looks like Colonel Sanders up close now with this, uh, with that with that weird bolo tie going on. He goes, mm-hmm. not to worry, old male. Old male? Yeah, I don't know. That seems weird. Old mate? But that would be like a British term, and Gomez isn't British. He says old male. I don't know why. Not to worry, old male. We'll look for it after lunch. So uh, we only got like one game tip, and... It kind of cuts off short as far as I'm concerned, but mm-hmm. that's what it is. And then right. we got uh, the power players. I don't see any names that stick out. Nope. Got some people that beat Battletoads. Yep. We got one guy that beat ActRaiser, and his name is John Sermon, which I thought was, you know, pretty neat. Like, that would be, mm-hmm. a, that would be a great biblical wrestler. <laughs> Instead, instead he just takes the Bible and he smashes you in the face with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Feel the power of my my palm. I mean psalm. The power of Christ compels you to get that face looked at. Bam! (laughs) Yep. All right. uh, So players poll contest. Woo! Here's third prize. Uh, you can win one of 50 Nintendo Power jerseys. I call them jerseys again, even though it's clearly a t-shirt. And that's the terrible one with the fake Nintendo Power issue on the back. Uh, second prize, you can win... Uh, ten players can win uh, the Robocop game pack of your choice from Ocean. So either one or two, I'm guessing. And then a Robocop 2 videotape. Ugh. And then... Yeah, it's pretty bad. And then for the... Uh, Grand prize, you can win RoboCop's car. That's pretty fucking sweet. It says, imagine yourself behind the wheel of Ford Taurus that RoboCop really used to patrol the streets of Detroit. And more. That must be the the car from the set. Yeah, it says, the car used in the RoboCop 2 movie will be awarded to the winner if he or she is over 18. Uh, If they're... Estimated value is $8,000. The, yeah. the parent has to be there if they're under 18, basically. <clears throat> Void in Canada. So, that's interesting. I kind of want to hear what happened with this. If the, you know, what was in the car, if there was anything interesting about it, or if it was literally just a crappy sticker on the side and they got a shitty Ford Taurus. You know? <laughs> yeah, it looks way better than movie. All right, so up, up next we have Now Playing with George and Rob. Oh, boy. Um, so these are the, again, this is the thumbs up, thumbs down guys that are essentially the Siskel and Ebert. We've got some new art this time. They're not doing the thumbs up, thumbs down. 
Um, and one of them has his head face buried into no power. So they give uh, Captain America and the Avengers around a 3.5 on average. Uh, they give a Dance Dungeon Dragons around a 3 on average. They give uh, Hook lower scores, just between around a 2.5 to a 3, looks like. Yeah, there's a game called Gemfire. It rounds oh, yeah, like I missed that one. Four, Gemfire. Three, three and a half. Not quite sure what it looks like. It looks like a, a British version of Nobunaga's Ambition. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, it's from Koei, so there you go. Same company. And then we have, uh, let's see here, what they like about um, personal Probably. power meters for Race America. We've got about th- between threes and fours, so around three and a half. And then Thriller Safari gave fairly high scores. Um, they're a little bit divided on this one, though, so it was around 3.5. Yeah, three, 3.5, 4. Then we've got then Toxic the- Crusaders. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say Toxic Crusaders, and we got three, three point five, a four. So it looks like it scores fairly well. Mm-hmm. And then Wacky Races is up next. We got some threes in here, some three point fives, and some fours. So it looks decent. Did you ever play the Wacky Races game? I don't think I ever did. I watched the show. I never, never played the game though. Yeah, it makes you like. I don't know why of all the people you're playing Muttley. Like that seems to be like the only consistent person in every episode, I guess. But you're, yeah, you're a consistent villain, not a hero. Yeah, maybe you're thwarting them, you know. Yeah, by completely getting out of your car and attacking bunnies mm. in a flower garden. It says his job is to help dastardly win the race by finding parts the core for the car. So it doesn't look like you're actually racing in it. It's a platformer where you're just prepping for the race. Then. So they got missile. Com- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah missile command. Eh, it just shoots. It pars the course. Mm-hmm. Prophecy: The Viking Child, solid threes. And then for the Adams family, it gets pretty high scores, around three point five to four. All right, and then top twenty, top three for NES is Super Mario Bros. Three, Battletoads, and The Legend of Zelda. Legend of Zelda still hanging on there, uh, forty three months on the top top twenty. Ooh, I'm looking at the uh, the power ratings mm-hmm. for uh, the Game Boy titles. Turn and Burn got Where? yeah. Turn and Burn didn't break a three except for a theme. Oh, you're looking on the the previous page here. Yeah. Oh and yeah. Then we got uh, Prophecy: The Viking Child. Well, apparently Rob and George, George and Rob or Cisco and Eber don't know shit because the rest <laughs> of the crew gave it under three. Mm-hmm. They couldn't prophecy of the Viking child couldn't break threes. And then we got uh, Hook, which surprisingly low, and uh, like none of those could break threes except for graphics, mm-hmm. which doesn't really matter if the game plays like shit. Okay, so back to the top 20 for Super NES. Number one, we have Super Mario World. Number two, F-Zero. Number three, The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Which is, I don't know why it says four months, because I saw it just came out. Shouldn't it be one month? Zero months? I guess, like, I guess they've had their hands on it for four months. Yeah, well, those bastards uh, didn't share with the rest of the world until later. No. Um, and I, then, yeah, Zelda will topple Mario World, because I'm pretty sure I saw it taking the top spot for a while. In, yeah, that's in my childhood. That is a misprint to say four months though on there. Okay, for Game Boy, number one, Metroid Two, number two, Super Mario Land, number three, Battletoads. 
So Metroid 2 has taken the top spot, finally displacing uh, Super Mario Land for the first time. Uh, this is the f first time a game has toppled Super Mario Land. Yeah. And now I got the players' picks with a bunch of kids sending in their favorite NES games. And I'm looking at Matthew Collins, who, who survived the bowl cut his parents gave him. Yep. He later starred in a movie called Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> and then we got uh, poor Tim Adams. I don't know. Like they really should have like waited until he was finished blinking, or whatever. Because he, he like, the background they gave him, it looks like he's like about to about to go into one of those epileptic seizures we were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like he's just at that stage where his where his brain is getting primed to to start kicking off. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, we got uh, Nick Bolin, who <laughs> John would love this kid. His top game is scat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, and uh, his name, and the his selection rounds out with Doctor Mario and Die Hard. Nice. And we got Steve Gentry, who's got a black hair and a black background, so you never quite know where he ends or begins. Mm. And we got Marble Madness, Battletoads. That seems to be taking off in uh, in a lot. Yeah, because we got Matthew Collins, we got Bullcut. His favorite game is Battletoads. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Steve Epilepsy Gentry is looking at Battletoads for his third game. And then Joe Harrison, uh, also top game Battletoads. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's taken, uh, it's taken off quite a bit. Anyone else here stand up besides Pat Jackson, who looks like, uh, <laughs> who looks like a, a narcoleptic Harry Potter? <laughs> that's a perfect description of him actually that's pretty good no I got nothing else um, take 5 Super NES sports game players picks for April 1992 number 1 Super Offroad yeah. number 2 Super Bases Loaded number 3 Nolan Ryan's Baseball number 4 Bill's Lane Beers Combat Bas Basketball and number 5 Hal's Hole in One Golf and the next up we have the celebrity profile for Edward Furlong <laughs> Edward not impressed Furlong Right, so they have an interview here with the 14-year-old uh, California kid uh, talking about uh, playing Nintendo games and uh, his part in Terminator 2. So there's nothing terribly interesting about here in, in, the, inter in, the, uh, um, in the interview here. Did you get anything? Well, he says, like, when, uh, who do you play Nintendo games with? I play Nintendo games with my friends, my aunt and uncle, with whom I live, or by myself. My uncle's addicted to playing, and we sometimes fight over who gets to be player one. <laughs> and it says, why do you like to play Nintendo games? They're fun and adventurous. I love the graphics and the action. You can lose yourself, which makes playing games relaxing and exciting at the same time. And then they ask, what was it like making T2? Arnold and Linda were great to work with. It was hard work, but a lot of fun. Arnold and I used to play Game Boy on the set. Even though I never acted before, everyone made the experience fun and easy for me. Even though I only thought about being an actor, I never expected it to happen. Only after T2 was released did I take it seriously. Now I want to be an actor always. Hmm. Well, is, is he? He was in one of the movies I can remember, Detroit Rock City, where like a bunch of friends basically go on a road trip to try and see the band Kiss in Detroit. And all I remember is Edward Furlong has this scene where he gets totally like wasted in a strip club and ends up like throwing up all over like the actual like uh, platform stage. 
Oh, it's yeah, quite yeah. it's quite an impressive scene actually, but that's the only movie I ever remember him doing after this, and that was from the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, I'm looking at his Wikipedia. His last significant role was Detroit Rock City. There you go. And the crime drama Animal Factory. Mm-hmm. His career subsequently declined due to multiple arrests and court cases and chronic substance abuse and alcoholism. Shocking. He played the title character in the direct-to-video horror film The Crow: Wicked Prayer. Oh, God, that has to be awful. He played the crow. Oh, my gosh. In 2011, he played a supporting role in the Green Hornet. (laughs) So let's just find out what these abuses are, what these uh, abuse problems are. He's Mm battled alcoholism and drug addiction. He went into rehab in 2000. In 2006, he said he was on and off hard drugs, stating, I was a heroin and cocaine addict. It was really scary. I don't even think about partying anymore. It just seems lonely now, running and clubbing and doing coke. I have nightmares about doing hard drugs. I'll wake up and like, did I relapse? And then in 2010, he was placed on three years probation for violating a civil protective order obtained by Rachel Neeland. In 2013, he was sentenced to 180 days in jail for a probation after, for a violation of probation after he used force against his ex-girlfriend, Monica Kena, and for violation of a protective order. Oh my gosh, this guy does not violate, this guy does not respect restraining orders. He was arrested in May of 2013 and avoided a jail sentence after agreeing to go to rehab for 90 days. So it looks like his nightmare came true and he did relapse. And to undergo 52 weeks of domestic violence counseling, he had already served 61 days in jail. Oh, God. Motherfucker, this guy's a wreck. Yeah. Ooh, apparently in 2015 he was in a film, Star Trek Renegades. Was that a fan film? Yeah, it was a fan film. Oh my gosh, he was in a fan film. It was complete. It was the completed pilot was released for public viewing via YouTube beginning August 2015. Plans have been announced for a renegade web series, so he may be able to redeem himself by just being in this series. It (laughs) says that. uh, Oh my gosh. They got some actual actors in this besides him. Tim Russ as Tuvok. They got Tuvok in here. I have no idea who that is, to be honest with you. From Star Trek Voyager. Never never the, saw it. The, the Black Vulcan. Never watched Voyager. Oh my gosh, they even had Walter Koenig as Admiral Pavel Chekhov. Hmm. So... This oh my gosh! This is amazing. They made a move like an actual, ser- a fan film series thing, and they wanted mm-hmm. to they want to make it into a series. Wow, this is something like this could save Eddie Furlong if he just like stops taking drugs and beating up women. Mm. Well, that remains to be seen. But let's take a look <laughs> into the future. A future into the local games pack watch we have street fighter 2 coming speaking up of, speaking of beating up women yeah got a chun li is in three of these uh screenshots here um one of them she's getting kicked in the face by guile so we all kind of know street fighter 2 not gonna go over it all pretty much uh team nt4 turtles in time is coming up oh, this um, is it's got to be like my favorite any turtles game I mean, this is a super NES, I think, right? Super NES, yeah. Yeah, yeah my favorite Turtles game, period. You get to yeah, see it's, it's one of the best, for sure. Yeah, Krang and his mongoloid baby robot body. Mm-hmm. 
And then we have uh, Ultrabots Sanction Earth. And this is a weird-ass looking game. Um, so they've got three screenshots here. One of them looks like it's from a NES. And the other two looks like they're from uh, Reboot. Um, <laughs> the uh, 3D show. And uh, it looks like they must have started it on NES and then decided to port it over to the Super NES and update the graphics so they're much better because that screenshot on the bottom left there is awful. Um, I'm trying to figure out. It's a Robotech simulator. The basic idea around the game is that alien robots have invaded Earth and the only hope for humanity is to capture and refit the massive metal stoppers so they can fight Robo-A-Robo. Uh, you can operate a fire team of up to six Ultrabots in a given sector. You can switch from one bot to the other for direct control. So, uh, I don't know if this game is ever made. I'd be interested. From uh, Data East. And it says you'll have units spread all over the planet. So while you're slicing up the competition in North America, you may have a strategic ambush set up in Africa. This game seems way too ambitious. Yeah, I don't think it was ever made. Uh, then we've got Top Gear from Kemco, which has some great soundtracks from what I remember. Uh, then we have Pebble Beach Golf Links Wings 2, which is... Ooh, uh, it was released. Oh, yeah? Yep. Ultra well, Bots, then. Ultra Bolts well, was released in 1993, only on the PC, though. Interesting. I guess they realized the, uh, realize the Super Nintendo couldn't quite keep up with it. Hmm. But uh, looking at the reception, Computer Gaming World called Ultrabots a novel and worthwhile experience. Hmm. I guess it wasn't too worthwhile since it wasn't a sequel. So we have Wings 2, which is uh, looks like a, uh, a dogfighting game with old uh, World War II or World War I um, planes. Then we have Might and Magic. And which looks like a uh, Dragon Warrior. A little bit. It looks like a three-dimensional Dragon Warrior game kind of thing. Then we have Robocop 3. And it's a side-scrolling NES game, looks like. With Robocop apparently taking the Iron Throne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have Batman Return of the Joker for Game Boy. <laughs> Which is uh, probably what Robocop calls his toilet. <laughs> then we have... Uh, the 4-in-1 Fun Pack as well, which is a set of four different uh, games in one. And uh, that looks to be about it. Coming up in the next issue, we're covering Darkwing Duck for well, the you NES. Japan, you forgot Japan Watch, where we get to see Sim Earth. Hmm. Did you ever yep. play Sim Earth? No, I didn't. Anywhere. And yeah, we get to see Darkwing Duck for I mean, like look at those look at those screenshots. Those are some prime shots. Yeah, for the for a late stage NES game, it's pretty. Um so that's Darkwing Duck. And for the Game Boy, they have Batman Return of the Joker. And for Super Nintendo, we have Contra 3 coming out, as well as your favorite, Super Adventure Island. Because <laughs> we needed more Master Higgins, and this time in 16 bits. He got he got that extra gene removed, so now he's like, so now he's fine. That extra, <laughs> yeah. cro that extra chromosome Aww. has been taken out. <laughs> That's too bad. All right, um, I'll I'll uh, wrap this up here. Uh, please do us a favor and uh, go on iTunes and get write us a review. It really help us get up in the ratings. If you'd like to reach out to us on uh, Facebook, please find us. Look for Playing with Power podcast. 
That's the best way to get a hold of us. Or you can reach out to uh, Mike on Twitter at GetThePower88. If you'd like to send us a few bucks and support the show, please go to patreon.com slash playingwithpower. Yeah, and we want to thank uh, our recent donors, Brandon Boswell and simply Ivan. Don't know who he is. He's uh, donated to two, like another podcast, but I don't have a name on the man. So, you know, if you want to introduce yourself, Ivan, talk to reach us out, reach out to us on the Facebook or send a message through the Patreon. We'd like to thank you and, uh, you know, just thank you for your support. Also, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, new listeners from Malta and China. So welcome to our family. And, and hopefully, and hopefully, the one listener will be gaining very soon from the island of Timor Leste. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, he has a wife, right? So there's got to be at least two. There you go. Well, we don't know if she's cool or not. That's uh, true. All right, uh, I'll go ahead and wrap us up. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Ben. I'm Mike. And now you're playing with power. Entertainment system. Now you're playing with 